feel like I say this most times, but I want to do something a little bit different tonight, but this time it is a little bit different in the fact that um, since we are starting in, in a whole chapter tonight, um, what we're covering is David and Goliath, by the way, just a, a light, easy topic, especially since we're missing some of our people who are on spring break and whatnot. We'll tell them they missed out, but since it is um, sort of a bigger chapter, here's what I want to do. I don't want to read all of it because that would take up half of our time in the message, me just reading all of 1 Samuel 17. So I'd like you to turn to 1 Samuel 17, please, if you would, whether it's on your phone or if uh, you're one of those Christians that owns a, a, a physical Bible, open it out there, 1 Samuel 17. It's in the Old Testament. As you're turning there, if you don't know, uh, in the spring semester, we go through an Old Testament uh, book of the Bible every every spring that this ministry has been in existence, and this time we're going through uh, most of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and covering King David, and we're learning about his life and how he followed after God, and he was a man after God's own heart. We're learning about his triumphs and his failures and everything in between. So hopefully that's enough time for you to get to 1 Samuel 17. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to read verses 1 to 18 on your own. I want you to just read them, absorb them, get a little bit of an idea for what's going on there. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 through 18. Go ahead and read that now just to yourself when you're done, look up and I'll know that most people are done and we will continue from there. Most people are finishing up. I'm going to continue. Feel free to just finish that up as I sort of dive us into where we're going to be tonight. I told you tonight it would start a little bit different, right? I want you to just sort of internalize God's word for yourself so you can see the context we're in, so you don't just have to trust what I'm summarizing, but that you can see the first part of the story, you know, that sets up what King David himself is setting into. So that's what we did, and now we're going to look at the rest of the text together. And here's how the rest of the night's going to be. We're going to look at the rest of the story. We're going to learn some things about David. We're going to learn about um, what he experienced and how he thought and processed in the story of David and Goliath. We're just going to learn these points of David did this and David was this. And then after that, we're going to come back and we're going to summarize it all together. We're going to apply it to our lives. We're going to talk a little bit about how we read the Old Testament. And I'm going to go into a little bit of a rant on how to read the Old Testament. Maybe. We'll see. I, by rant, I mean it's not in my message. So who knows what's going to come out of my mouth tonight, right? But we'll see how it goes. So let's dive into the rest of the passage. Let's look at verse um, 19 together. You started verses 1 through 18. Now I'm going to read verse 19. It says, Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. So it's a battlefield they're at, right? And, and David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. 
And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come to defy Israel and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father house free. So summarize, the man that kills Goliath is certainly going to be like the, the most richest man in all of Israel and receive the blessing of the king and the blessing of everything. Like he will be the point person for all of Israel, the hero of heroes. And David said to the men who stood by him, verse 26 there, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be to the man who kills him. That's a lot of text, but all of for us to get to a point that I want us to see tonight. I told you we're learning about David. And the first point we see about David is that David saw the real battle. David saw the real battle. And here's what I mean. Like if you were in this situation, put yourself there, walking into an encampment of, it says army against army, right? So walking up to a battlefield, you know, there's typically the way it works is there's an army on this side. There's a big old spot of open field right here. And then there's another army on this side. This was pretty traditional back then. And they would stare at one another until it was time to kill each other. That's how war works. And so David decides to walk up to this. And, uh, you know, he's a young boy. He drops off his bags with essentially the bellhop, right? Drops off his bags, walks up, and sees the real battle. Now, I don't mean the battle of army versus army. I don't even mean the battle of Goliath against the Israelites. What I mean is, if you were in this situation, there are things you would be thinking about, right? Many of us who have never been in war, who have not been on a battlefield, we'd be thinking about our own safety, our personal safety, making sure we got to live through this. Others of us might be concerned for the safety of those around us. Some of you might be heartbroken knowing that many of the men that you're walking by are going to be dead by sundown. There are things that would be on your mind. Things that might scare you. Or if you're the type of person that was raised to be a warrior, right? You are there and you are ready for battle. And so the things on your mind is the physical fight that is at hand. But that's not what David saw when he showed up here. And did, did you notice what he saw? Look back at verse 26 with me. Verse 26, what does it say that David was concerned about? It says, And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? Approach of Israel, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And right here, that he should defy the armies of the living God. Look at how that's worded. David's concern is that Goliath was defying the armies of the living God. It doesn't say that he was concerned for the prosperity of Israel. It doesn't say that he was concerned for Israel's safety or the fact that there may not even be in Israel after this war and battle. It doesn't say that he's concerned for their safety or for their prosperity. It doesn't say he's concerned for the, the brothers, like his own brothers that are in battle at that moment, it doesn't say he's concerned about that, but what he is concerned about is a man who's standing in front of him, a giant who is defying the representation of the living God, the armies of Yahweh. That's his concern. 
This wasn't a concern over a physical being. This wasn't a, a concern over a battle. It was a spiritual nature that he saw. It was, a, it was a spiritual battle that he saw first and foremost. Like the real battle wasn't Goliath versus the Israelite men. The real battle was Goliath and God. Because God's people represented God. It wasn't Israel that it was in danger. It was God's name that was being smeared. And that was a problem for David. It stirred him up as we're about to see. Look back at verse 28 with me here. Verse 28. Now Eliab, the eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know, this is his brother talking to David, I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. Now it's a little confusing maybe what's going on here. The language is, uh, of the Old Testament can sometimes seem a little like stale or hard to fully grasp the, the emotion that's going on in it. But here's what's happening. Eliab is coming to David and saying, you are a greedy, selfish, ambitious, evil man. You've left your job being a shepherd. You've left them behind. Who's watching over those sheep? That's your job, and yet you're here anyways. And all you desire is to be rich. All you desire is to be married to the king's daughter. Like That's what he's proposing to David in this moment. And he's saying, I see the evil that is in your heart, David. And David responds, what have I done? I was speaking. What have I done? Was it not just a word I was saying? Meaning, I'm asking a question. I spoke a sentence. And David turns away from him and goes on and continues his conversation. And here's the second thing we learn about David, is that David received criticism. David received criticism. Now, I know these seem like shallow points, but it's all going to connect together at the end when we see the full thing. So just bear with me here, but David saw the real battle, and David received criticism. And who did he receive it from? He received it from his eldest brother. Now, for some of you, that's a, a very real thing in your life, right? That's a reality that... On a daily, weekly, or monthly basis, whether now or as you were growing up, you received criticism from your oldest sibling. That doesn't seem new to many of us that, that have siblings, but let's just understand the authority that the eldest sibling had in a household in Israel. They were the heir apparent, right? They were the one who was going to shepherd the house after their father died. They were the one who was going to receive the wealth in the name of the household. And as such, they actually had an authority within the household to speak to their siblings as if they were uh, part of the household. Because as they grew older, they took on more because they were the heirs of their household. Heirs of the kingdom. And so it's not just that this is a brother picking on another. This is an authority. This is somebody who has influence. Somebody who's going to wield power over David someday. And he's saying, you're evil. I see the intentions of your heart. 
Now we know that the brother's wrong here. We, we know it. We're about to see it. That everything David did was actually for God's glory. We'll get to that. And we know that David was a man after God's own heart. And I'm pretty sure God's own heart is not evil. Therefore, David's heart was not evil in this moment, right? But yet his brother did this. And so, to put it simply, David received pushback, right? He received criticism, harsh criticism. But in this instance, what we really learn is that when I say received, like he just took it in and then walked away. Took it in. And then just walked away. And I, I think you can put yourself in this situation as well. And one thing I was thinking about, so I, I talked to a lot of you guys, right? Like I, I talked to you about your lives. I talked to you about the things that you have going on. I talked to you about where you want to be and, and what you want to do. And I, I'll tell you, one of the biggest things that tends to trip you up is when somebody like a parent or a sibling or a teacher pushes back on you because one of the first things we do is immediately think is this God telling me that I shouldn't do this is this God's way of closing this door is this God's way of showing me that what I'm doing is wrong now yes sometimes it is but other times it's not and this is a great example this is a great example of a time in which David received criticism and pushback from his eldest brother who had authority in the household and chose to go on anyways. Now that's a message for another time. That's a message we can't get into tonight. So here's what I want to do. If that's something that's on your heart and mind, first of all, if you're in a C group, I encourage you to talk to your C group leader. I encourage you to tell them the situations in your life that you're experiencing and you're questioning the things that the Lord might have for you because of the people that are speaking into you. Because we talk in this ministry all the time how the people of God pouring into you is one of the ways that God speaks to you. Second, if you're not in a C group, I'd like you to come talk to me afterwards. Either I can get you connected to one or maybe we can set up a time to talk. But either way, if this is something that's stirring in you, I would love to help you out, whether it's dealing with your parents speaking things to you or siblings or friends or professors or whatever it might be. So David saw the real battle. David received criticism. Let's keep on going. See our next point here. 1 Samuel 17, verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. That's the king at the time, right? King Saul. And he sent for them. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. You're a youngin. You're a little boy. That's what he's saying. And he's been a man of war from his youth. This is a man. This is a warrior we're talking about, and you're, you're a wee little boy. That's what he's saying. You can't. And David said to Saul, verse 34 here, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and delivered it out of its mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard. Okay, that's a cool image, right? Like catching a lion by his beard. I think it's cool. And struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. Now note the word uncircumcised. 
If you're unfamiliar with the Old Testament language, that is a way of them identifying that he does not belong to God. That is a way of them identifying that he does not know God. He is not a part of the people of God. He is an enemy of God. And so this is the Old Testament's way of acknowledging that he's an enemy, right? So verse 36, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear would deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. If, if you're an underliner in your Bible, that's it right there for me, okay? That's what I highlight. That's what I underline. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And I'll tell you why you can highlight that in just a few minutes. But go and the Lord be with you. And then verse 38. And then Saul clothed David with his armor, put on a helmet of bronze in his head, coat of mail, and David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. And then here's a famous line. He took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones, put them in a shepherd's pouch, put a sling in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. It's a long story to talk about how he put on armor and then took off armor, right? That's what happened. It shows a lot about David's bravery. It shows a lot about the character of David. But the thing we're going to see here tonight is that David was prepared by God and trusted him. That's our third point for tonight. David was prepared by God and David trusted God. So it's not that David just randomly had the, the thought like, oh, I could kill a giant. I've never done it before. I've never been in battle, but I, I could kill a giant. That seems probable to me. It's not like David actually had that thought. It's actually the, the opposite because what we learn in this passage is that David is thinking about all of the times in his life that God has prepared him for a moment such as this. That God has prepared him for a moment to be able to handle this. And even more than that, it's not just that David felt trained by God. It's not just that David felt like he had enough life experience that God had given him. It's that he continued to trust God no matter what would happen. He trusted God in the moment that was to come. Like David saw God's faithfulness in the past and it informed his trust in God in the future. And that's something we can learn, right? To see God's faithfulness in our past and to cause that to have us trust him for our future. For the battle to come to look back at the lions and bears that have been in our life, that through the Lord's strength and his will and Jesus stepping in on our behalf have been defeated and to trust that God and his character and nature will continue to do that for his people. We saw it right there, verse 37. I told you you can highlight that, right? That's why I highlight it. Because it's a reminder of me to look for God's faithfulness so that I can trust him more. And for me, like I write in the edge of my Bible, right? So like I highlight that and I put faithfulness equals trust. To see God's faithfulness will equal my trust in him. So God works in our lives by using these things in our life to not only prepare us for the things ahead, but to reveal his faithfulness and power. And like think about that, draw it out in your head. Think about all the ways that you can see it happen I want to share with you, you know, I've seen it in my life. I remember I, I was 23 years old. 
I had just graduated college. I had begun leading worship accidentally. That's a story for another time. Totally did not mean to start leading worship, but it happened. I stumbled into it. And uh, through that, I, I felt the call of God in my life to give my life to full-time ministry, right? To give my life to serve him and his church the rest of my days. And I'll tell you guys, I felt so inadequate. I mean, I was 23 years old, had never even once considered being a worship pastor or going into music ministry or anything like that. I felt so inadequate. And I'm not talking about like the good inadequate, right? There's a good inadequate that's like, who am I to serve such an amazing God? Who am I to be able to stand here and preach, right? I'm not talking like the humble brag inadequate or like the actual humility inadequate. I'm talking about the like, there's no way I could ever lead God's people in worship because I'm not good enough. I'm not skilled enough. I'm not trained enough. I can't sing well. I can't play well. And I honestly don't know my Bible very well. And guys, at that time in my life, all of those things were true. All of them. I could not sing very well. I had a music degree, but I was not a trained vocalist to be able to sing the way that it's required, right? Especially at this church. I couldn't play that well. I had just learned to play guitar like eight months before that. And I definitely didn't know my Bible. I couldn't tell you almost anything about it. I had a Bible. I had a lot of Bibles, I'm sure, throughout my time. I couldn't tell you much about it. And a friend, as I was, I was feeling conflicted, and I really feel like the Lord had called me. A friend said to me, and actually brought up this story, and this is just an example of these stories, guys. Like, there's so many throughout Scripture, but a friend told me that God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. Like, God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. We've seen that already in King David's story when he got anointed king. We see it right here. How many men in the army of Israel were probably taller and stronger than David? How many men had been in battle before? In fact, that's exactly who Saul was looking for, right? He said, you can't go. You're a little boy. You're not able to do that. He's a warrior. How many men were more qualified than David? But because, David had called, because God had called David, he had equipped him in his life to be able to do it. Now, I'm not saying that in every situation you're like King David, ready to take down a Goliath, but I am saying that in every situation, God is God. In every situation, God works like God works, and this is one of the ways that God works. And this is one of the ways that you can see him working in your life as well. So all that to say, God uses our life situations to train us, to prepare us, and to equip us for the things that he calls us to. That's the purpose of him working in our lives. All right. Let's move on to the last point. First Samuel, we're going to finish this up. First Samuel 17, 41 to 50. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David, right? David had just grabbed his slinging stones, showed up on the battlefield. David showed up. Philistine's there with his shield bearer in front of him. Verse 42. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance, right? He hated him simply because he was young and pretty. There it is. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. So he's also calling David puny and wimpy. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. 
Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Right? That goes back to our first point. David saw the real battle. Verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and I will cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Now you need to remember, the battle he's about to fight, whoever loses, the entire army loses, right? That's the challenge from Goliath. If David lost, all of Israel lost. Verse 48, when the Philistine arose and came near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. I love this line. There was no sword in the hand of David. (laughs) There was no sword in the hand of David. Our last point is that David was zealous for God's glory. David was zealous for God's glory. If you look back in that passage, you're actually going to see a lot more about David's fervency for God's glory and for Goliath to be defeated than you are about him actually defeating Goliath, right? Him defeating Goliath, it's a sentence, guys. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and the Philistine died. Oh, it's two sentences, I'm sorry. Stone sank into his forehead, and he died. But how many sentences do you see about David talking about the Lord's glory? About how the God of Israel is the God who owns the battle. The God of Israel is the one who deliver him. The God of Israel, if David kills Goliath, is actually the one that killed Goliath. The God of Israel is the true God. David was zealous for God's glory. It's what caused him to action. It's what spurred him on. It's what motivated him. It's the reason why he did. And you remember, there was other motivations he could have had, right? Like treasures and riches laid before him. It is entirely possible that David could have been trained how to kill this man because he had fought bears and lions. And it's entirely possible that he could have taken that for his own glory, taken into the battlefield, killed the giant, got the king's daughter, got the riches, and called it a day. But that's not what he did, and that's not why he did it. Instead, what he did is he took everything that he had and been trained in and used it for the sake of glorifying God among the nation of Israel and among the nation of the Philistines. That was David's purpose. That's why he did what he did. And now I want to get just a little bit into my rant for tonight. Hopefully it won't take too long, but I feel a tension I feel a tension when I read the Old Testament because um, in my life, as I have been trained up in theology, as I have been trained up in the Old Testament, as I've been trained to give God glory as much as possible through preaching and through reading the Bible, and as I have been taught that the Bible is not about me, it's about Jesus Christ, and it is about Jesus Christ, as much as I have been taught those things, in me also, 
I have a hard time allowing myself to read myself into stories because I have been taught and told I am not David. I am not David. I'm Israel, right? I'm Israel like shivering in my boots while David, who is Jesus, played by the role of, of Jesus, right, shows up and, and does the thing and saves me as Israel on my behalf. And that is beautiful and it's true. That's exactly what Jesus did, right? We were like Israel. We could not defend ourselves. We could not accomplish what needed to be accomplished. And just like David, Jesus steps into the scene, does the work for us, and gives God all the glory so that we might be saved. That is the story. David is a type of Christ. We can see that. And when we read this, yeah, we need, to, we need to see. We talked about it when we did the how to read the Old Testament passage, right? Like we need to see how God is God in the Old Testament. And that is the first and foremost, most important thing. But I also want to encourage you to put yourself in the place of David in this situation as well. I think it's a both and. And the reason I think so is look at these points, guys. Which one of these points should not be true about someone who follows after God? Which one of these points should not be true about someone that knows Jesus and is living for him and walking alongside him in life? Like we should all see the real battle. We should all want to see the spiritual nature of what is going on. We should all be willing to receive criticism from the world because we are rooted and sanctified in God. Like we should all look back upon our lives and see how God has prepared us and how he's going to have us act in the future. And every single one of us should be zealous for God's glory and using everything he's given us to turn it back into glorifying him and helping his kingdom grow. Like we should all want those things. And so I want to say and I'm not going to say it often because I don't want to preach moralism to you, but I'm going to say, be like David, guys. Be like David. Read this and see it and be like, I need to be this kind of person. I need to be zealous for God's glory. I need to see the battles that are going on. I need to see his faithfulness and treasure it and stand up for it in the world. Like, that's okay. It's all right. Read yourself into that. Don't make yourself a hero. Don't presume that you are David. But always desire to be like that because all of those, at the end of the day, they're just qualities of Christ. Every single one of these, true about Christ. Think about what you know about him. Christ saw the real battle. How do we know he saw the real battle? He remained silent in his trial, didn't speak a word. Not until he gets up with Pontius Pilate. He said many times, I came for the sick and lost. I came for these people because they need a doctor. Didn't come for you. He knew to speak out against the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He knew to call them out on all of their religiosity and to love the broken and lowly. Christ saw the battle. Receive criticism, I don't even need to say that one, right? Like literally crucified for what he said. Prepared by God, 30 years of training before he started his ministry. 30 years of training before he started his public ministry. That's being prepared by God and trusting him. Jesus kneels on the ground in the garden and says, Lord, please take this cup from me. I don't want it, but if it's your will, I'll do it. How is that not trusting God? 
and Jesus being zealous for God's glory. Absolutely. How many times? You read the Gospel of John. Just read the Gospel of John, and you'll see how many times that he says what he does is for his Father. So that's my rant. My rant is that when you read stories like this, that you wouldn't hesitate to see the qualities of Christ in these Old Testament uh, people and to seek hard after them and use them as examples to, to encourage you in your life with Christ. And my, my prayer for you is that David and Goliath would feel a little different for you now. That when you read David and Goliath, yeah, there would be the story of like, I need to, I need to pick up my, my sling and, and shoot it at the giant. Like, I, I pray that that just goes away. I pray that you stop seeing it as like, I've got this financial hurdle, and so I'm just going to sling my stone at that giant. I pray that you would see it like, this is defying God. This is defying God, whether it's a sin in my life, whether it's a sin in somebody else's life that is coming into it, whether it's a situation in my classroom or at work. I pray that's how you see this and how you need to be zealous for God's glory in all of your life. So. I think that's about it. If you have any questions, I'll be up here after the message. Let me pray for us, and i got a couple announcements. Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, Lord, that we can be back. Um, Father, I, I pray right now that over my bumbling and stumbling of preaching tonight, just not being used to being back, that uh, your word was preached, that it was clear, Lord. I pray that anything I said that is me and of my opinion and of my desire would fall short and end the minute they walk out of this room. And I pray that anything that's you, Lord, that's eternal and everlasting, and of your word, I pray that it would ring true for the rest of their lives. Lord, I ask that as they read David and Goliath in the future, they would think about all the ways that David pointed to you, Christ, and that you were such an amazing example to us. And you are so good to have saved us. Father, I pray for this group. I pray for those that are on spring break and not here with us. I pray for those in the room. I pray that you would just grow our hearts deeper and more in love with you and for your word. I pray that you would grow us as a ministry, not for the sake of number, but for the sake of resource, of being able to reach even more people for the gospel. Lord, I pray you would reach people in the name of the gospel in this room and through this room. And I pray for our time as well in community in just a bit, Lord, that you would deepen us in community like only you can. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.